This is the Editor's Half Hour. Step into the life of an editor for 30 minutes as we discuss the craft of editing, industry trends, and editorial resources. Your host is co-founder and CEO of Peak Publishing, Inc., Nadia Jaja Pupa. She is experienced in all facets of the publishing industry, from editing to design, and works with corporate clients and self-published authors. Nadia and her guests are about to share powerful insights and stories on what it takes to be an editor. And this is your host, Nadia Jaja Pupa. Welcome, listeners, to the Editor's Half Hour. We are on the 10th episode of the podcast, which is big. This is still a relatively new podcast. Uh, And we are now on part two of Editing True Crime. So part one, I interviewed Andrea Topper. She was working on a true crime story, going to prison, interviewing uh, somebody in jail about a murder case. And, you know, it was really, really intense. Uh, I know that she's gone through a lot in her writing process. And when I asked her, let's do part two, I'm ready to go. She's like, I'm not ready. You know, she's taking a break from writing. And so in that process... I was like, well, I still want to do a part two. I think there's still so much to cover when it comes to editing true crime. There's a lot to talk about. And so I'm online and I'm looking and I see a book called The Girl in the Window and Other True Tales written by Lane DeGregory, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. And this book came out this year. I think it was published just this past April. Uh, And... I was like, hey, Lane, oh my gosh, she has this, she's a, first of all, she's a Pulitzer Prize winner. This book is published by the University of Chicago Press. Um, I'm reading through this thing and it's, it's basically, this book is an anthology and it's about tips for reporting, writing nonfiction narratives. Um, And so I actually sent the the book to uh, Andrea. Hey, Andrea, did you see this book? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I need to cut the story short because I've got this amazing guest today who is not Andrea. It's Maria Carrillo, or if you're Ameri- if you're a typical American, you'll say Carrillo, or Carrillo is how you really would pronounce it. Um, and I have this wonderful guest today, and, and that's how I met her, was actually through Lane DeGregory, the author or, of this anthology. And Lane said, well, I'm actually not an editor. I'm more of a writer. And I thought, well, you know... This is the editor's half hour. I need to talk to an editor. There's so much, so many questions to ask. So I want to welcome you, Maria, to this podcast. I'm so honored to have you. And I'm, I, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time for this. Um, but I want to, I, I would like to tell the listeners how exciting this is because you are, you're, you're, you've got more, so much experience in the newsroom. Um, you so you're all, I should also, I know I'm jumping around. I'm just so excited. <laughs> it's good to be here. Nice can't. to have, <laughs> nice of you to have me. <laughs> Thank you. And I want to just mention that, that you also work on the podcast with Lane DeGregory. You have a separate podcast called Right Lane and it covers, uh, uh, true crime stories, a whole, probably a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, but you, so you, I want to know a little bit about how, I know there's so much to say about your experiences, but how did you meet Lane DeGregory? And um, was it, you know, in the working at the Tampa Bay Times? Uh, there's yeah, probably was, so much to it. She and I actually uh, worked this. The Tampa Bay Times was the second newsroom that we worked together at. The first newsroom was oh. at the Virginian Pilot in southeastern Virginia back okay. at the end of the last millennium, actually. So we um, <laughs> we met there and we worked together. Uh, she was a reporter on my narrative team. And okay. um, then our past 
diverged. She came down here to Florida. I ended up in Texas for a while. And then um, she called me when there was an opening here and said, come be my editor again. So I spent the, I the last, um, you know, I spent four years with her at the Tampa Bay Times. So we just, um, we've worked so well together and had such a great relationship and became, you know, great friends too. So, um, you know, we followed our careers and raised our kids and stayed in very close touch. So obviously she's an amazing writer. Um, I've been lucky to have, uh, I've been in seven newsrooms. I spent 36 years in daily journalism. So I, um, so cool. I got a, a, you know, I still consider myself a journalist. Uh, now I do more consulting mm -hmm. and coaching, um, and still, uh, work with Lane on the, on the podcast. That's awesome. It's so cool. And I want to cut, we're going to come full circle. Cause I'm going to bring this up at the end about the editor and writer relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's so much to talk about. And I just think it's so cool that you also served as a Pulitzer judge. Is that right? Six times. Is, yeah. I was a Pulitzer oh juror six times and, Charger. um, okay. yeah, which is like, they, you know, they make, they go through a bunch of entries <laughs> and try to get the, get it down to the finalists. So oh my God. that's a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet it is. And mm -hmm. I have, a, I wish I could just talk about just that alone is insane. I want to, yeah. I have so many questions about that, but anyway. Um, okay. So let's go back to the book. So the book is, you know, the girl in the window and other true tales. It's an anthology. Mm -hmm. Were you involved at all in the development of this book, creating this book? Did you help Lane put together yeah, the stories? So when I came to work here in Tampa and, you know, we were reunited and she, of course, at this point has had a tremendous career with all these accolades. And I said, what else do you want to do in your career? And she said, boy, I'd really love to publish a book. So I was like, let's awesome. do that. You know, so, so she connected with someone at a, at the university of Chicago press. And then it was a process of like kind of figuring out which stories were going to make it into the book. And then she and I worked on kind of her pieces of advice, you know, so if you, if you pick up the book, it's organized by different kinds of advice and she create, she has like footnotes and tags and things to sort of explain to you, you know, how she got the story, um, you know, what happened here, what, what kind of hurdles did she overcome and talks about the reporting and the, and the, and gathering ideas and the writing and the editing and all of that. So, so I helped her sort of organize all of that and just kept pushing her forward. And, uh, so I'm really excited that it's finally published. Cause I don't think there's anything quite like it really out there in terms of, yeah. of, of not only an anthology, but all the advice that she <clears throat> offers. That I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. I haven't gotten a copy of it yet um, because I feel like I just discovered this book like a few yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. So um, yeah, th this is this is like a, a a gem of a book. So that's very very cool. And I I knew that you probably did yeah. get involved in the developmental process of this book. So, um, but let's let's really start at the beginning. And I wanna I wanna go through this journey of your career too. So what what led you in the at the very beginning? into true crime, edit editing specifically true crime? Well, you know, as a, as a journalist, I mean, and especially as a journalist in America, you can't really avoid crime. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it, things are playing out right. all the time. Now I will say that my interest, um, wasn't so much about, you know, the grisly nature of things and just like being watching this horrible stuff unfold, but trying to answer the how and why, you know, how did things happen and why did they happen and get to hopefully some, make some sense out of things. So it's not just, you know, we're not just jumping in and writing things gratuitous, gratuitously about, um, awful things that happen to people because I mean, that can be fascinating in and of itself, but then you, right. I know you were going to ask, we're going to talk a little bit about what goes into that, but to me, it's always right. about what's the takeaway beyond the obvious, you know, yes, these can be really compelling stories, 
But to me, there's also the, you know, how do people survive this kind of thing? And how do, you know, yes, a man's capacity to do things to each other is, is insane, but how do how do you come back from some of that? And how do you, how do people right. forgive some of, some of what happens to them? It's, I mean, that part of it is really fascinating to me. Yeah, it is. And of course, like you said, there's the sensationalized, there's the drama, there's the shock factor. And that's what like turns heads like what, yeah. what happened? Oh my gosh, somebody murdered somebody or a family member murdered another family member. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it gets really, really deep, dark. Um, it takes a special type of editor, doesn't it? So <laughs> how do you walk away from from hearing about uh, certain things that are really intense? For me, I can just say personally, anything that involves a child, anything that involves whether it's a murder, abuse, oh, it stays with me and it bothers me. And it's really hard to shake it out of my head and move on to other things in my daily routine or daily life. What is that like for you? I mean, are you good at, you had to have been good at separating it, right? But you probably didn't get to that no, not right you away, know, but it, it took you a while, right? Yeah. But I, like you, I mean, I, well, especially when I became a parent, when I became a parent, um, mm-hmm. especially stories about children, I guess, but, um, it becomes so much more personal and it feels so much harder to deal with, but, um, mm-hmm. it was always bothersome. I, I think journalists like probably like police officers and firefighters, you know, you end up compartmentalizing your life and you, mm-hmm. and you try to keep separate to some degree, you know, what happens at work? I know for me, I mean, it's just a personality thing, but I would not come home and just pour it all out because I wanted to leave it at the office if I could. And, um, but you know, as an editor too, you've got to take care of your writers and they are often even more, you know, they're, they're closer to it. They're on the front lines sometimes. Um, you know, as an editor, I, I, if, if we were working on something longer term, I might meet the subjects of the stories. I might go out there too to kind of make a connection so that I could better work the story and be a better editor. Mm-hmm. But but for a lot of times too, it's just trying to understand what your writers are going through and how they process. Um, you know, some of this stuff can be triggering to people. They're they're covering something that reminds them of their own lives. Um, and you just, you know, how can you not be crushed when you're dealing with some people who are going through the worst moments of their lives? Um, yeah. So, yeah, very difficult. Um, but like I said, for me, compartmentalizing and trying to like, um, you know, <laughs> go home, sort of shut it down. The world is full of awful things that happen. It's also full of good things. So you do have to sort of try to find that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and over the years, because this is not, this isn't new for you. You've been doing this for years. You have Mm -hmm. so much experience, you know, the difference between good storytelling and bad storytelling and the right way to get that story out there. Mm -hmm. Um, so as you've been looking at things, have you identified patterns? Have you identified any type of, um, themes, (laughs) If I want, that's probably the wrong word to use a theme, but I mean, I guess patterns is all I can think of right now to describe what maybe you've put together or pieced together in similar types of stories. So maybe it isn't a murder story, maybe a story that involves rape or abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. What are the themes or patterns that you've seen in the things that you've had to edit? 
Yeah. Well, so even, you know, certainly with true crime, but with all kinds of, um, when I'm coaching a writer through nonfiction, um, I'm always asking that question of what, what is this story really about? You know, um, on the face of it, it might be an obvious, uh, situation. Um, but what are we trying to get at? And I'll give you an example. So one of the stories that I'm really proud of that we did, uh, at the Tampa Bay times was about a woman, uh, named Evelyn who, um, unfortunately had been gang raped as a 17 year old. And she'd gone her whole life without therapy because she didn't have insurance. She didn't have a way to pay for it. So she finally gets to Medicare at 65 and now she can go to therapy, right? So at 65, she's dealing with this rape from when she was 17 years old. Now that on its face seems like a really powerful story. But one of the things that the writer and I are also looking for is what is this story ultimately really going to be about? Not just on the face of it, finally getting help, but is there a theme? Is there something we can draw away from it? And at the end of the day, what the theme was on that story was forgiveness and not forgiveness, not her forgiving them, her forgiving herself. She had kind of spent her whole life putting it on herself that she had made this mistake by trusting some individuals and that, you know, sort of everything in her life spiraled from there. And so therapy really got her to a place where she could forgive herself. And when I think of that, then that becomes a really powerful story to tell for anybody, regardless of whether you experience something similar or not, because we can all relate to forgiveness and we can all relate to beating up on ourselves about one thing or another. Right. So for Mm -hmm. me, when I'm coaching a writer, that's what I'm trying to get them to tell me, you know, why are we telling this story? Not just on the face of it. It's, it's a compelling story, but what is the reader going to take away from it? Not again, not just the gratuitous nature of things. Right. Right. There's something deeper there. And yeah. that's what you have to look for in every story. Right. And so there you, you, you sent me some really great articles. Um, and the one that, well, let's start, let's start with the one called 55 minutes. Yeah. So this one is about an active shooter. This was a three-part series, and it, it was published in uh, 2016. Was this a Tampa Bay? This was actually uh, at the Houston Chronicle. This was Houston yeah, Chronicle. Chronicle. And and um, so, you know, there's the first active shooter in, in, in the city of Houston. It happens on a yeah. Memorial Day weekend. Um, obviously, the attention is on what happens that weekend. At, but as we move past that, Again, right. going back to the how and why, right? I'm I'm fascinated by that. So I had I actually had an intern. Her name was Lauren Karuba, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and um, she's now an investigative reporter with the Dallas Morning News. So I'm name dropping, but cool. she awesome. um, she came to me and she's like, you know, I'm really fascinated by the people who survived the shooting because there were yeah. this guy's out at a at a at a gas station and gas he's station. just mm-hmm. shooting 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 at people. People are dr- police have cordoned things off, but people are still driving into trouble, and we really hadn't caught up with who these people were and what actually happened to them during it and what happened to them after. So she did that. We identified five or six people who, who, you know, were involved and it turned Mm -hmm. out to be this amazing story about people who sprung into action, a boy scout who used his training to help somebody who was shot, you know, and, you know, all of this drama that was going on. And, and then it becomes this like, what do you do in that moment, right? Because we're all waiting for that. Everybody now is so attuned to that in the United States. Uh, you know, are you going to get caught in an active shooting? And how will you respond when you do? And who will who will run towards it to help you? And who will run away? Right. All these right. kind of questions, right? I so know. 
we ended up turning it into three part series that was serialized. Yeah. So it was like, you know, stay with us. We're going to tell you kind of, we're going to play it out. I saw that. And it I was, that, um, yeah. yeah. And I, so to me, again, it's not about being gratuitous about, oh my God, look at, look at how awful this is. Look at all these people getting shot. But it's like, right. wow, look at the human story of overcoming uh, in this moment, this thing that catches you totally off guard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how were you, how deeply were you involved in this editorial process? So let's walk it through for a typical editor who never gets to see this stuff. I mean, this is so fascinating to me. So, so you're, so is it, you're part of that conversation as the writer develops it or is it, Hey, Maria, here's the man, here's not manuscript, but here's my, my no, first draft. No. Yeah. All the way through yeah, the I process, hear this. all the way through the process. Awesome. So, I mean, for okay. I, I, a lot of editors work differently. I love being there from the get go and, and love sort it. of talking through the idea and, um, help, you know, somebody is giving me their thoughts and thinking, this is how we should do this. And I'm that first reader, right? I'm that first reaction yes. and saying to them, no, I don't know about that. Or, you know, we can't, we can't have 12 characters. That's way too many. You know, let's, let's mm-hmm. figure out the best ones to follow, you know, who's going to give you access. Um, how are we going to do this? What's the structure going to be like? Where are we going to start? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to finish? Mm-hmm. Um, coaching them through that whole process. And then, um, even coaching them through the outline of the story. How's this going to work? How are we going to break it off? Where, you know, again, where are we going to end? I'm, I'm very big on endings. Yeah. I think you got to know where yeah. you're going. Right. Yeah. And so, um, that's, that's just the way I work. And I, so I think awesome. it's, it's a partnership, you know, it's a partnership it with the, and you're the, you're the person who's kind of giving some feedback and trying to explain, you know, how it's yeah. striking you. This is like elite level book coaching. (laughs) It's not even because you're really, I mean, you're, you also have that reporter background too. So, you know, the journalistic side of you that's uh, going to the writer. So have there been instances where the writer is presenting uh, quotes from the, the subjects or you call them characters or people, I mean, they're people, it's not like characters in fiction, but, uh, you know, their sources, have you gone back to the writer and said, Hey, you know, can you go back and ask them this question? Almost like you're thinking sure. like a journalist. Have you had to do that? Oh yeah. Yeah. But again, that's the great give and take, right? They're telling you a story. Right. They haven't, they're yeah. not writing it down yet. They're just, this is what I got, you know, here's, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. you know, Their here's first... my idea. Here's some of the reporting I have. And then obviously you as the editor, you're thinking, oh, wait, what happened mm-hmm. then? Or what, what did they say to that other person that they were with? You know, do they remember what the dialogue was? Uh, do they Mm -hmm. remember what they were thinking in that moment, which is a great question for an editor to ask, what were they thinking in that moment? So much internal dialogue is what goes on in people's minds when, you know, crazy things are happening. So yeah, yeah, drawing that out. And you had one of the questions I know we we were thinking about talking about was just like, how much do you get out of them? I want, I want as complete a reporting job as possible. Right. So everything they can get their hands on to document what went on. And in this day and age, that involves, you know, videos that people take on their phone. It's like tweets. Um, you know, yeah. when there was the Parkland shooting, some of the most amazing stuff was the tweets, the, 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 the texts that people were sending back and forth to their spouses and their parents. I mean, and that, you know, that we got access to all that stuff. So you yeah. want, you want as much of it as possible so that you can really tell the story with as much authority as possible. And you're not going to use all of that by any means, you no, know, you've got to no. break down and really pick out what's most important. And doesn't that a struggle? That's always, always. That's the, the, the never ending struggle, struggle of, a, of an editor. Like, oh. 
I want to put this in so bad, but you know, we just, we got to be selective. So as an editor, you're, you're, you're looking at these articles with the, the lens of an editor. You're not, you know, you have to go back and forth. There's a push and pull. And I know what that's like to, uh, reading as mm-hmm. a reader, reading as an editor, cleaning things up, organization structure. Uh, but narrative nonfiction is different. There's really a true balance. There's a uh, flow and rhythm. I, I noticed that it's cut yeah. and it's journalistic, obviously. It's just true crime. This isn't fiction. And so these dialogue that you, you have to insert dialogue throughout the story. How do you know when and when not to? And the dialogue is, is very it's just cut and dry. And then there's a next line and then you cut. Uh, do you have yeah. you have to find that balance? You're the editor. You're the one getting the information. Sure. Um, how do you know when to do it? How do you know when to pace it? What's good pacing? Well, uh, you know, to me, and I love, I love dialogue. I think dialogue can really bring a story to life. And, you know, obviously there are moments that are just crazy, yeah. uh, that, you know, you captured in the, in what somebody says, but now I've been lucky to be working with really gifted writers. So a lot of the times my coaching is I don't need them to say it unless they're going to say it better than you can write it. Okay. So if you're telling me a story and you're setting the stage as I hope you will, you know, and you're creating all the kind of mood and scenes and putting me in a certain place, um, then, you know, you're dropping in the dialogue when it's really helping to express emotion or give me a sense of place or a sense of the moment or something that's really telling about what's happening. Right. So there will be times where somebody's dropping in some dialogue and I'll think that's not adding enough to me, or it's not, it's not giving me something. I think a lot of writers equate dialogue with voice. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's not quite the same thing. You know, a, a writer's voice is, is everything is the way that they put the story together is the way they pace the story. Where do they add short paragraphs? Where do they add longer paragraphs? You know, what are they, what are they trying to get you to feel yeah. through what they incorporate right. and dialogue's really important to that. You know, you need, you need those moments, you know, what, I, the, the, we talked earlier about the rape story, the woman who went mm-hmm. back to counseling, mm-hmm. you know, who, who finally went to counseling. And that was written by the way, by Leonora LaPeter Anton, who's another Pulitzer winner from the Tampa Bay wow. times. But, um, you know, her dialogue, when she was recounting the rape itself, you know, um, she remembered what one of her rapists had said to her as he drops her underwear back in her hands. Wow. You know, that's a moment that, Leonora is not going to be able to, you know, that's something you got to use that moment because she's, she's remembering it, you know, 50 years later, it's still stuck in her head. Right. So, um, that, that has this power to it. And so that's what I would look like. I'd look for, I think with dialogue as always, where's the power in those words? What are people, the way that people are saying things and how they're saying it. Right. And I think we're really speaking to the heart of what separates a, a regular story from a Pulitzer Prize winning level story. I mean, it's really, it's these nuances that people don't realize when they're, it's, right. it's getting, you're, you're, you're truly just like going straight to the heart of these stories when you're putting in the dialogue. So I don't think readers, a typical reader would realize how important dialogue is. And I thought it was worth talking about that. Oh, you know? for sure. And, and, uh, you know, a dialogue to me is too, like, and also details, you know, what details are you using and what details are you not using? Right. You can be, you can overdo it with a detail yes. and you can, you can kind of lose a reader mm-hmm. 
in a bunch of minutia that maybe isn't as important. Right. Like, you know, do you really need to know exactly everything about the murder scene in a particular case, yeah. say, or are there particular things that you need to point out because they're going to come back again later, or they're mm -hmm. going to be important to the evidence, or they're important to someone's claim of innocence. You know, right. what is it? You, you've got to be very particular with how much you include, because like we had talked about earlier, um, you know, you want to get everything you can. Right. I, I'm a great believer when you're doing nonfiction that you try to, you try to get as much information as you can, mm -hmm. but then you're probably only going to use five or 10% of it if you're doing it yeah, right, yeah. right? Because you're really making choices about what the reader needs to know yeah. to really make that story powerful. Yeah. And that's where your expertise comes in. So only Maria would know, you know, you're looking at an article, you're, you're just like this. I mean, you've been doing this for so long, you know, okay, that goes in, that does not go in. We can, we can do without this right. information, but this is the nugget of information the readers need. Right. And so that's what makes the compelling story. And so you spoke a little bit about like, this is speaking to the ethical standards and practices behind this very, you're, you may be looking at gruesome photos, uh, very, uh, disturbing, right. it, it could be images or details that you're, you're reading. How do you know where that line should be drawn? You know, I'm sure there's courses so, about know, this, you know, well, you know, it's funny. I had, I had an editor, a boss years and years ago who said to me, um, put your mother in the place <gasps> of that subject, you know, and, or it could be your sister yeah. or your brother or whatever, right? Okay. Make it personal for okay. you. So how would you treat that situation and that person if it were somebody close to oh you? So in other words, when you look at it that yeah. way, then you're, then you're, yeah. you're doing it a little bit with kick gloves. Mm -hmm. Now you can't, honestly, you can't write about crime without, I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. There's just nothing to be said about that. Right. But, but can you write about it in a way that, that still affords people some dignity and some respect yeah. and how many, again, it goes back to those details, right? If I'm, if I'm editing a story that involves a rape or a gruesome murder, yeah. you know, I'm always thinking, how much do you really need to know? And does your mind going to fill it in anyway? Right. Like if I stop here, the rapist is going to take her into this abandoned building, you know, what's about to happen. How much do I need to tell right. you? Or is it even worse in your head anyway? Right. Like, do you really need the play by play? Right. right. If you're talking about a child's murder, oh. how much do I really need to tell you for you to take it? Away? So yeah. again, to me, it's always like, am I treating this situation and this person with a certain level of respect? Right. right. I mean, journalists get a bad rap. Like, like we're just, I you know, know, awful people who are preying <laughs> on people's worst situations. Like, and, you, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I want them to feel like it's, you know, we're being honest, but we're not being gratuitous, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what these in-depth articles are all about. I mean, that's what the, the in-depth meaning, not the grotesque or the, the, the gruesome details it's, uh, in depth into the psychological aspect of what's, of what these people are going through the victims, what they're right. going through. And so there, right. there's so much to be said for covering true crime because yes, it, it can be sensationalized and yes, it is shocking. There's a shock factor. Oh my God. But there is so much more where it can have a major social impact. Uh, and this is talking about, um, the nature of criminals who are you know, set free with who shouldn't be. So a failing right. criminal system or justice system, I should say. Uh, and, and who can bring that to light other than maybe a journalist to say, here's the story 
here's how this person got let off and how did this happen? Or, you know, the impact that a journalist can have in maintaining these standards, I think is, is huge. And I think that I'd like to hear your, your thoughts about the social impact that uh, these types of stories can have. Well, and, and, that for sure that you're talking about, you know, you, there's obviously people who are wrongly imprisoned Mm -hmm. and there's cases Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, everything goes Mm -hmm. wrong. But, um, I, I think where people also find this nugget in true crime stories is this idea of like people who overcome this tremendous amount of trauma that they go through. Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly, you know, victim stories where someone um, survives something that you can't even begin to imagine right. and they find the fortitude to move forward and remake their lives and maybe forgive the people who did things mm-hmm. to them. I mean, that's incredible. Those kind of stories are, are just amazing. Um, so I don't know, for me, that that kind of the, the triumph of the human spirit in like, of course, that also happens in like, really like hurricane stories and people overcoming right. things. But, but that have with true crime stories, you know, mm-hmm. people who are, man, who managed to survive all of mm-hmm. this and, and somehow rise to the occasion, you know, the boy scout who actually goes and starts using his That's boy amazing. scout training in the middle of a mass God. shooting, you know, it's like, amazing. you know, would, would you be that person? I don't know if I'd be I that would person, be the, probably you know? the person peeing in my pants and running and hiding. Right. I was like, know? I'm driving the other <laughs> like, way. I can't, uh, but, yeah. Uh, I, I shouldn't be yeah. laughing, but it's, it's, it's so true. And I think that's, again, speaking to the differences between, you know, an article that's just out there sensationalizing versus an article that's award-winning. And I think that's, that's really the difference here that we're talking about. For sure. And then like, it just like we're talking about, I think a lot about the Parkland shooting mm-hmm. and the, we did a story on a teacher mm-hmm. who was in her closet with a bunch of her oh. students as the shooting's going on. And then a week later, she's trying to go back to school and prove to herself that she can go back to being a teacher. She can overcome her fear, right. you know? And it just made me think, like, think about oh my God, what teachers have to go through nowadays. It's not just like teaching knuckleheads. It's like (laughs) you possibly, your, your life is in danger and, and you have to protect these kids in a, and it really is a life or death situation now. So how, how inspiring is that? And how compelling is that, that, that you have people who do that and are putting themselves in, I mean, she went back, she went back to teaching, which, I'm not sure not everybody easy. would have no, done. So no. all of those, to me, those, those crime stories are really about our, our nature and how do we overcome these horrible things that happen? Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's why they're so compelling. I think, you know, that's yeah, why people yeah. get sucked in and want to know, well, what happened next? Oh my gosh. So why did this happen? I, you want to know why, how, you know, and then obviously how people overcome, like you just said, and it's, it, it is the yeah. fascinating part of the story for sure. So, yeah. um, there's so much to ask you. I know we, <laughs> we could, could we could talk we could talk for days. I know. There's so much. <laughs> part three and part I mean, four. You know, <laughs> I think we're probably going to have to do part three, but we'll see. We'll talk offline about that. But I, I think you know, let's let's end on a on a note for um, editors who are just interested in this. Maybe they're not journalists. Maybe they mm-hmm. are book coaches. Maybe they're just, you know looking at a manuscript that is you know, they, they have no connection to the writer, but that they are Mm -hmm. just copy editing and, you know, sending notes back to the writer. There's different scenarios and, and it could be a memoir. It doesn't have to necessarily be uh, an investigative article. So for those editors who are Mm -hmm. not journalists, but are touching into that world of true crime, 
what advice would you share with those types of editors? You know, we talked about the internal struggle, you know, separating the work mm-hmm. from your personal life. We could, you know, you could go there, but, but it, it, the actual craft of editing, uh, what advice mm-hmm. would you share with an editor who is interested or is actually doing this stuff right now, doing exactly what you're describing? Uh, yeah. What can you say to the editor? Well, I mean, like like you've pointed out, there there's so much out there yeah. now too. That that's really interesting. There's a lot of true crime podcasts. There's a mm-hmm. lot of true crime documentaries. I would say, you know, try to be a student before you become a teacher. Like, figure out, break down what some of the how these some of these stories work and why they work or why they don't work. Mm-hmm. Like, what was it that kept you riveted all the way through? Or if you lost interest, why did you lose interest? You know, what was the thread that you think maybe they didn't pick pick out right? Because um, I, I think there's so much, there's so many good ones out yeah. there. And there's some that are not, not as good, but yeah. there really are some amazing stories out there. Uh, of and But again, I always, I'm drawn by the emotional punch, the stories that really, that it wasn't just about something awful happening, Mm -hmm. but about human nature and how we recovered from it and how we moved past it or, you know, reconciled ourselves to it. Um, how did you become stronger in the aftermath? Mm -hmm. So, um, if I, you know, if you want to do that kind of work, I think analyzing it and studying it and really understanding, like we've been talking about, why did they include this detail? Why did they include this bit right. of dialogue? Well, how did they pace it a certain yes. way? Who are the characters that they focused on and why? Right. Um, for, for nonfiction, it's always about accessibility. Do you have a character who's going to allow you in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Would they give you that? And sometimes you can tell that the character hasn't allowed the writer mm-hmm. in. Um, but like I said, becoming a student of it is the way I think to become a better teacher, okay. honestly. So what books should we read? And and it's funny because there are parallels with, uh, and it's adjacent to fiction, you know, you're telling right. a story right. it's, you know, fiction is a little bit more, I mean, obviously it's not the same as nonfiction, but there, it, there right. are similarities in the editorial process. There's that storytelling. Oh, for sure. There's characters, yeah. there's plot, there's all yeah. of it. There's a lot of similarities. Well, you know, everybody should go back to In Cold Blood. Okay. I mean, because it's where it all started really. And, um, I remember reading as, as grisly as this sounds, the executioner song when I was in high school <gasps> from Norman Mailer and, but Truman Capote got it all started at which is looking, taking a situation of a murder mm-hmm. and turning it into real people yeah. and real characters and kind of, you know, putting you in that moment and you can still read it and it holds up pretty darn well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, if you want to be a student of it, there's yeah. a lot of accessible stuff out yeah. there. And some of the stories that we've talked to about, as I, Lane's book has probably three or four mm-hmm. crime stories mm-hmm. in it that are really fascinating. And um, again, great to study yeah. and to be a, become a student of them. I can't thank you enough for this interview, Maria. This has been so great. And you know what you made it feel like is that it isn't so far out of reach for editors. I think that's the cool thing about this conversation is that it it is within reach for a typical editor and how important the editor is in this writing process. I want to go deeper and talk about the editor-writer relationship. I have questions about how you're a juror for like the the award-winning, prize-winning articles. I mean, there's so much to talk about. But again, what, what the, the goal and essence of this conversation was really about the accessibility for editors, what editors go through, 
you know, making these big decisions, big decision making power yeah. behind the editorial process. And there's something to be said for that. Uh, so, again, yeah. thank you so much. I hope we stay in touch. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having been me. So great. I, I, I can't wait to read more about this stuff. This is so outside of my uh world of editing but um you make it seem really cool so i'm interested i'm interested <laughs> well thanks very much appreciate it thank you for listening to the editor's half hour this podcast is your go-to resource for editorial trends opening the discussion for new ideas through the real life stories of editors for more information about nadia jaja pupa and her business visit peakpublishing.com that's p-i-q-u-e publishing.com Be sure to follow Peak Publishing on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember to subscribe and follow The Editor's Half Hour wherever you get your podcasts.